Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We have been in this narrative in the book of Exodus for about 18 chapters. And now we get to this chunk of law. We're going to look at three, four chapters today. Exodus chapter 20 through Exodus chapter 23. And I'm going to read selections instead of reading the entire thing. So leave me some time to preach it. I'm going to read some selections here. Follow along as I read. Chapter 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Chapter 21 Verse 1, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free for nothing. If he, becomes, if he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and they shall go out alone. And if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. Verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall, into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Verse 33. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that, he, so that it dies, then they shall sell the ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, He shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. Chapter 22, verse 6. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns, so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it's stolen from the man's house. Then, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. 
If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his honor, to his neighbor. Verse 16, if a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If a man utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. Verse 25, if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. Chapter 23, verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Verse 18. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until morning. The best of the firstfruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Father, we ask that as we come into your word, that you first help us to recognize that this is your word. What seems like just a bunch of arbitrary laws is much more than just simply that. And God... I ask that in your inerrant, inspired word that is powerful to cut through us, to divide us, that you would do just that this morning. Pierce our hearts and let us be a people who are convicted by your word and live in the grace of Christ under your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A friend of mine once had lunch with John Piper. Uh, Some of you know who John Piper is, a uh, very well-known pastor, theologian, served at Bethlehem Baptist Church for 33 years. In many ways, his uh, ministry has uh, formed my own uh, and uh, and been impacted by him. Some of you have as well. Uh, In some ways, his ministry has brought about even a revival, I think, for the passion of uh, the glory of God. And one thing that John Piper is known for is his passion. Uh, he's also known to be a fairly quiet, introverted person uh, when you're face-to-face with him. Now, my friend told me about this time that he had lunch with, with Piper, and uh, his story sort of humorously captured the, uh, the, the essence of Piper's personality. Uh, so they're, they're sitting around, a bunch of young men with Piper, who's uh, o- older, and 
uh, and, and Piper's sort of quietly sitting there, legs crossed, his hands just kind of on his Bible like this, and, uh, and he's just quietly interacting with the men and uh, just this quiet, introverted sort of personality. And then something that was said just sparked that Piper passion. And out of nowhere, he bursts, you know what I hate? I hate racism. And I hate abortion. And everybody's like. And then Piper takes his Bible and he curls it over his head. And he holds his Bible over his head and he says, I just want to be under the word. I want to live under the word. I want to live all of my life under the word. And those who have heard Piper's preaching, you can kind of imagine it in your mind. A little mini sermon all of a sudden. And so my friend, while he's sort of smiling and laughing and chuckling about this this event at the same, he then pauses and he says, and, and we were all sitting in this room, we were all just sort of convicted that we don't have that kind of passion to be under the word. I want to talk to you today on the theme, being under the word of God. Living under God's word. Now, as we come into the text today, we've got to remember where we've come from. Chapters 1 through 18 in Exodus is this miraculous, epic delivery of God's people out of slavery. And now, as we turn the corner, we are into part two, which we might call demand. So God is now making his demands of his people But this is not just simply a mean old God telling his people what to do, but this is the God of deliverance, the God of grace, the God King who has now formed his own people who is in fact making a covenant with his people. And the covenant comes along with its stipulations or law. You might have saw right there uh, in verse 18, there's... These, this, this word, flashes of lightning. Now this takes us back to chapter 19 when the people are standing in awe of God's presence as it descends upon the mountain. Remember that? And they're freaking out as there's thunder and lightning. But this word in verse 18 for flashes of lightning is actually a different word than the word that's used for lightning in chapter 19. It's a rare word that doesn't actually mean lightning at all. It just simply means flash. And it's the first time that this word has been used since Genesis chapter 15. What happened in Genesis chapter 15? God made a covenant with Abraham. And there when God made a covenant with Abraham, animals were separated, and it says a flash, or the word there interpreted is a torch, passes through the pieces And now the second time this kind of flash is seen in the Bible is when God makes another covenant with his newly freed people, Israel, at Mount Sinai. This is a reference for God's covenantal presence, his flash. And it is in this moment so powerful that the people are freaked out. God is a covenantal God making a covenant with his people. And here, this this king God gives his people 
a law. We see right there in the first verses of chapter 20, in chapter 20, verses 3 through 17, we see the Ten Commandments. This is what we could call the summary of the law, written on stone. If you want a full exposition of the Ten Commandments, I'll, say, I'll, I'll send you to our website where you can download sermons of a sermon series we recently did called The Ten Commandments. All right? I intentionally preached that because I knew I was going to get to this at some point. So we're not going to get into that now. Listen to that this afternoon. All right? Ten hours of preaching right there for you. Good Lord's Day activity. So, summary of the law, and, and then it goes on in chapters, uh, chapter 21, verse 22, through chapter 23, verse 19, which you could say is sort of the, uh, the explanation of the law or various applications of the law for the nation-state of Israel, the civil laws of Israel. In chapter 21, verse 1, you see right there that these are called rules. Here are my rules. Another way that that word could be interpreted would be judgments, meaning these are intended for, uh, for, for, for legal authority. They're intended to, to get rid of disputes between individuals. Uh, this, is, this has a very practical purpose. Every nation has laws, and now this freed people as a nation in order to keep Unity, they need to have laws. And so there's a practical purpose to this. And some of these laws are very good, and they, well, they're all very good, but some of them actually last into our own society today. For instance, laws of restitution. If you steal something, you have to pay it back. Where do we find that from? Where do we get it? Right here. But this is where I want to go. It's more than just simply practical. The law that God gives his people, it's not just for practical purposes so they don't kill each other. But there's a spiritual aspect to this. And that, that is, that is this, this key that I want to try to latch on to this morning, and this is how it relates to us as well. God wants all of life, all of life, to be lived under his word so that his people might become distinct in the nations. God wants all of life to be lived under his word so that his people might be distinct. I was extremely helped by the theologian Alec Motier. His commentary is wonderful on Exodus. If you want to get your hands, read more, get his commentary. Alec Motier, it's spelled Motier. As we begin to understand, what does this old civil law of Israel mean for us today? And this is what it means. All of life is to be lived under God's Word, so that we might be made distinct. Let me just break this down for you. Let's begin. Let's, let's take that one sentence and break it down into three. Let's start with all of life. Every aspect of life, every aspect of who you are. Uh, it's New Year's. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? None of you. Excellent. Okay, we got two. 
Well, my wife and I always try to make New Year's resolutions, and one of them that makes it every year is that we're going to, this is the year to really be in shape and, and exercise, and I want to be able to, you know, run a marathon or whatever that is. And so we made that our New Year's resolution again. And uh, uh, so we are, uh, as part of that, our strategy is to go to the YMCA. We have a membership there, and we should use it. So we're going to go to the YMCA at least four times a week. I think Jess said three, right? Four. Four for you? Okay. Four for both of us. <laughs> At least four times a week. Now, if you were to join me in this New Year's resolution and get a membership at the Y, which would be great because I would have somebody to work out with, uh, it would be a part of your life. You'd go to the Y maybe four hours, five hours a week. It would be a part of your life, but it wouldn't be your whole life, meaning your life would be otherwise complete without it. Uh, It would be an addition to your life, meaning some of you might say, well, Joel, I can't join you in this because I don't have time to go to the Y. I don't have time to add one more thing into my schedule. The YMCA is a part, it's an addition to my life, which is otherwise complete. And this is how we often treat our Lord. God is an addition to our life. He's an add-on. He's Sunday mornings, if we have time. But Joel, I don't know if I have time to come to church. I've just got too many things. It's an add-on. God's a little side note in our life. Maybe a good addition, maybe a very helpful addition, but an addition nonetheless. Could you help some chairs back there? Thanks. Just taking care of business. Now listen, friends. God doesn't want to just simply be an add-on to your life. God requires all of who you are. Every aspect of who you are. Every piece of your drive and your intellect and your desires. As I read through this, uh, this law, what struck me was how uh, all-encompassing God's law was. If you just kind of scan the law here, we see that in uh, chapters 22, chapter 20, verses 22 through 26, God sets the foundation for life. Life is all about him, and there's to be no other God. In chapter 23, verse 13, he says, don't even make mention of any other gods. In chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, we see household laws. What to do in your house. In chapter 21, verses 12 through 36, we see laws about injuries to people. In chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, we see laws about uh, the protection of property he goes on about money. He gives laws about how to do business justly. He, he has laws about devotion and our, our worship toward God. In chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, we see laws of, uh, uh, th- that relate to sexual purity. In chapter 22, verses 18 through 20, we see laws of capital offense for those who have killed and murdered and harmed. In chapter 22, verses 28 through 31, we see laws uh, about what it means to live under God's authority. In chapter 23, verses 1 through 9, we see what it means to, be in, uh, ha- to have integrity. In chapter 23, verses 10 through 13, he even has laws about when to work and when to rest. I could go on. My point is, is to point this out. Uh, the, the law of God is all-encompassing. Every aspect of who the nation was going to be, every aspect of their life is going to be directed by God. In chapter 23, verses 10 through 11, we begin to see this idea of cycles. 
seven-day cycles. And those verses right there, there's a seven-year cycle, which means every seven years you are to let the slave go free. In chapter 23, verse 12, we see that there's also this seven-day cycle. Work six days and give one day for rest. And, and even the, the foreigner and the slave and the ox is to rest on that one day. In chapter 23, verses 14 through 19, there's an annual cycle. Now, Motir points out that, that the, these, this cycle that's included toward the end of the law shows us and, and indicates that all of, of, of life is to be devoted to God. Every aspect, God comes first in your week and God comes last in your week. God comes first in the year and last in the year. God is at the center of this cycle of life, meaning all of life, all of life, not just a part of it, is to be lived for God and under God. You might know the story of Peter in the Bible where Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples and, and he gets to Peter and and uh, Peter at first says, no, I don't want you to wash my feet. You know this story? And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part in me. And then Peter says, well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash, everything, wash my whole body. If that's what we're talking about, my whole body needs to be clean. And then Jesus teaches him something there and corrects that. But Peter at some level is onto something, isn't he? Meaning what Jesus does for us isn't just comes, he doesn't just come in and wash a piece of us. He doesn't just wash up Sunday mornings. Or he doesn't just wash up with what we do with 10% of our income. Jesus washes the whole of who we are. He cleanses every bit of us. He dips us in, in, in the waters of baptism. And we are, we are made completely new. All of life is to be given to God. All of life. The whole of who you are. God wants all of your marriage. He wants all of your singleness. God wants all of your work. He wants all of your career. He wants all of your ambitions. Oh, maybe you're struggling with laziness. He wants your imagination. He wants your heartbeat. He wants your bed. God wants your movies. He wants every aspect of your life. All of who you are. There is no such thing as uh, being a Christian here and being general out there. We can't just simply operate with a biblical worldview sometime, and then hop over into a secular worldview. But God wants our seven days a week. He wants our 24 hours a day. This is why our church covenant includes more than just simply what happens when we gather as a church. Our church covenant has lines such as, um, I'm going to seek the salvation of my friends and family. I'm going to abstain from worldly lusts all the time. I recently, well, just recently, just last night, 
went to a, uh, a, a party in the neighborhood. Some of us in, in the church were invited to a uh, uh, neighborhood party. One of the uh, ladies that lives in the neighborhood uh, invited us, and it was amazing. A nice party. And I had a conversation there with a politician. And politicians running for a certain position in Baltimore City right now, and uh, of course is it's political uh, campaign season right now, so trying to win my vote, right? Uh, and in seeking to win me over, this politician said, sort of to try to assure me, she said, I'm, I'm very religious. I, I, I'm part of a church. I go to church every Sunday. But you have to know, I don't let my religion affect my public policy. And I didn't say this, but I should have said, ah, you just lost my vote. Because I'm preaching about the opposite tomorrow morning. Like, there is no such thing as this idea of privatization, this idea of uh, this is who I am privately. These are my private convictions, but my public, public policy looks different than that. There's no such thing as our convictions here and then walking into a voting booth and changing our convictions. God wants all of us to be submitted to him. What part of your heart are you keeping from God? What part of your heart are you saying, no, this is my, this is mine over here? Friends, do you know that if Christ, through the Holy Spirit, worked his way into that room in your heart, that he would do a better job cleaning up that room than you do? He would do a better job organizing things in that room than you do? Oh, how satisfying has 2015 been holding back this little piece of your heart? How have you done with that piece in 2015? How satisfying has your lust been for you this last year? I wonder how your greed worked out for you in 2015. I wonder how uh, how productive your anger was for you this past year. Friends, give it over to God, all of who you are, and God will do a better job with your life than you will. All of life. Now listen, all of life is to be under God's Word. All of life is to be under God's Word. We see this here in verse 22. Before I read it, my wife and I have been doing renovations in our house. We've been doing renovations in our house actually for the past uh, five years, all right, since we moved in. And when we moved in, uh, there's a lot of work to be done, and we decided we're going to take things one room at a time. And that's what we've been doing, slowly, one room at a time. We're now uh, taking, we're actually doing one and a half rooms right now and trying to redo a bathroom. We had, by the way, no tub that was not leaking in our house. And we said, it's time to get to the bathrooms, all right? (laughs) So we moved in, and now we're renovating the bathroom. This is the way that the Holy Spirit moves in our life. He, he, he gets into the foyer. He gets into the house. And he says, this is my house. I'm changing things now. I'm ruling things now. And I'm going to walk into every single room in your house. I'm going to go in room by room. And when I go in, I'm going to do some renovation. I'm going to tear out the old, and I'm going to put in the new. New desires, a new heart. Now, as we 
look at the law of God, one question that will come up is, I thought we were done with the law. I thought we don't need the law anymore. I thought we are now under grace. Now, friends, listen. In God's Word, law and grace are not uh, against one another. But rather, in God's Word, we, it's, it's, it's not a law versus grace, but rather it is always law, capitals and grace. Law and grace. Now, no time in all of biblical history has anybody ever been saved by following the law. There has never been any time in all of redemptive history where someone was saved because they did something good. Law does not save. So the first use of the law is that it crushes us and it shows us that we need a Savior and we find our Savior in Jesus Christ. And He then showers us in the grace and He gives us the Holy Spirit and He wakes us up to do what? To see His law as glorious so that we might obey. It's law and grace. And as we look here at the the law, what we ought to recognize for us today is that there is the law of Christ that continues to move into our hearts, every room of our house, and is ruining the old stuff that we had there. And He's setting up His own kingdom. In chapter 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it and sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Now, I wonder what that would say about personal property for you, about stealing. Stealing what belongs to someone else, whether that's physical or intellectually. Verse 5, if a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over, over or lets his beast loose and feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and in his own vineyard. I wonder what that says to you about respecting the property of others and not taking advantage of those who have their property open, using the resources that belong to to someone else. I was just playing my daughter's little game on her Kindle, and uh, I didn't realize it, but there are these keys in this game that give me new life if I die, and she had stored them all up. I didn't know that, and I used all of the keys because I died all the time in this, in this game, all right? I should somehow make restitution, all right? I'm just, anyway. Verse 14, if a man borrows anything of his neighbor and, or, and it's injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. So what does this say then about borrowing somebody's stuff and you break it? We still owe Paul Newson uh, a speaker, actually. Convicting. Verse 23, if you lend money to any, any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. What does this say about, uh, about lending money and then charging ridiculous interest rates? What does this say about some of these check-cashing places and whether or not we should even think of working there, much less beginning one ourselves at some level? 
verse eight, uh, verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 6, you shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. What does this say about honesty in court? You see, the, the, the law of God, it speaks to every aspect of our life. And in order to submit ourselves to the Word of God, we have to know the Word of God. And I wonder, do you know God's Word? Do you know God's Word? In order to know God's Word, you have to read God's Word. So let me ask you this question. Do you read God's Word? It's the first of the year. Great time to start a Bible reading plan. We've got Bible reading plans back on the info table. If you download the ESV app, you can find something like seven or eight different Bible reading plans. Get to know God's Word. And when you do, you'll see that God's Word speaks to all of life. Those of you that are married, you're going to get to Ephesians 5. And husbands, you can read, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That kind of love. Oh, and then you've got to submit to it. And wives, see that you respect your husbands. Respect him. Singles, you're, you're beating yourself up for being single, and you're, you're, you're taking in all this information from the world. If, you, if you're single, then maybe you're not complete, and then you get to, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verse 8, and it says, Paul says, it's good to be single. Let that assure you. It's there's, there's, a, there's a gift to being single. You're lazy at work, and you get to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9. And it reads that the one who slacks in work is a brother to the destroyer. And you have to submit to that. You say, I'm not going to slack at work. I'm going to work hard as unto the Lord, every bit of it. I'm going to be honest with my time at my job. And then we go to our employment. And we read Matthew 5, verse 16, and it says, live your life before men. As, as a light, shine. You see, all of life is to be submitted to the Word of God. Are you submitted to the Word of God? Do you read the Word of God and allow God's Word to scrutinize your life? Do you find that you read God's Word more with an eye of criticism trying to determine whether or not you like what God's Word says versus reading God's Word from this perspective under God's Word, ready to submit, even if you don't like what it says. Are you under God's Word? Why? This is that third part. So that we might be a distinct people. You know the story of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph is a, is a man who was sold into Egypt. You probably know the story. Many of you do. And then through a miraculous turn of events, he rises in power and he's, he's uh, a, an assistant in Potiphar, who is the leader, Potiphar's household. Now you might know the story where Potiphar's wife comes and she tries to seduce Joseph. What does Joseph do? He runs as fast as he possibly can away from Potiphar's wife. And he says this, I cannot sin against my Lord. Let me ask you this question. Why did Joseph not uh, 
sleep with Potiphar's wife. Was it because he might have been found out? Nope. Was it because it was culturally wrong to do so? No. Not necessarily. Why did he not sleep with Potiphar's wife? It's because Joseph knew that he was living his life as a man before God. And he was called to be distinct among a foreign people. And he could not sin against God. The law of God calls us to be distinct among people. In chapter 22, verse 21, we see the impetus for this. It says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So Israel is to, right here, is to have this kind of like love and care for the foreigner in their midst. Why? It's because they were once foreigners. You see, the, the way we go forward as believers is driven by what God has done in our life. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We give kindness and grace because God has been so kind and gracious toward us. You see, who we are as a distinct people of God is driven by what God has done for us. And so God says, I have done this for you already. Now go and reflect who I am to the world around you. Reflect my kindness, my grace, my love, my justice, my peace. Be a distinct people. We live under the Word of God so that we might be a distinct people. A couple of applications or examples of how this would work itself out. One would be this, in a racist society, the church is a place where racial divisions are torn down. We are a place where people from every walk and every color and every background and every language ought to be able to come together in one room as one family and hold hands as brothers and sisters in a world that is dividing over race. Because the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down in Christ. Or as we work our jobs, in a lazy world, we work as unto the glory of God. You know, you work your job under the Word of God and you'll probably do well. The prosperity gospel is wrong because it says God will make you prosper regardless of how you work. God's kind of prosperity, it comes through hard work. Work your job under the Word of God and you will stand out. You'll be distinct among others. One way that this is especially seen as in our private lives. What do you do in private when no one is looking, when no one will find out? Oh, this might be where we are most distinct. When everyone else would sneak it, we know that we are men and women before God. 
and we will live our private lives under God's word so that we might be distinct. So what is our motivation in all of this? You know, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that I'm not just simply inviting you to live by a bunch of rules. That's not what this is about at all. If you're not a Christian, you need to know that the Bible says that we were once not a people, but we now are a people, which means this. We are not just talking about living according to a list of rules. We are talking about a change of citizenship. We once were living according to someone's word. Whose word are you living according to? Maybe your own. But we are all submitting to something. We now have an invitation to change our citizenship to the kingdom of God. And there we live underneath this God King. And we live according to His rule and according to His ways. Now, what is our motivation? Let me just close with this. The motivation that we see here in the Scriptures might surprise you. Before we do that, let me tell you this brief story. There's uh, this book called Wind in the Willows. And there's these two characters, Mole and Rat. And they're on this search for a baby otter. And as they're searching for otter, they stumble into the presence of God. And all of a sudden, Mole and Rat are standing before the presence of God. This is what the book says. Suddenly, the mole felt a great awe fall upon him. An awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head, and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking. Are you afraid? Afraid? murmured the rat his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, oh, mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads and did worship. Let me read to you verse 20 of chapter 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you, that the fear of him may, I'm sorry, let me, re- let me start that over. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now, when I first read this verse, I like cocked my head. I was like, what, what are you talking about? Do not fear, but fear. Do not fear, do not be afraid, but fear. And that fear is to drive you to obedience. What is he getting at there? Well, he's addressing the kind of fear that they have in verse 19. And he's calling them to a different kind of fear. You see, there are two kinds of uh, fear of God. I'll explain it this way. You you, you might uh, think of a mother and a father who are just afraid, scary. Maybe that was your mom and dad. I don't know. But you know, growing up, the kind of mother and father I'm talking about, they were just scary. Like they, they disciplined, they punished their kids out of anger. 
It was the kind of fear in you that would make you want to run from them and hide. Well, that's not the kind of fear that we are to have of of God. But there might be another mother and father who demonstrate true love, but it's love coupled with, with discipline and with power. And you know that if you, if you stay out too late, that there will be consequences, and those consequences drive you to get home. Oh, but they drive you home. Not away. You see, the fear, the holy fear of God does not drive us from God. The holy fear of God drives us to God so that we might live delightfully under Him. In C.S. Lewis's Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver is, is asked if the lion, who is a type of God, if the lion is safe. Mr. Beaver's response is this. He says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. He's the king. God is not safe, but he is good. He is the king. I pray that your holy fear of this God will drive you to God. The word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. God came near to us. We did not go near to God. The Word died on the cross for our sins so that we might have forgiveness, so that we might have the grace of God, so that we might stand before Him. The Holy Spirit is given to us, not in an overpowering way, but in a gentle way. The Holy Spirit comes into our spirit and gives us new desires and new hopes and new emotions and new imaginations and new passions. And we want to live under God's word. Let's be a people who can rightly say, I want to be under the word. Every aspect of all of my life, I want to be under the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you have loved us uh, to, to such a degree that you came to us in Christ and saved us. We thank you for giving us your word, and we pray that you would help us to be people of it, that we might submit every aspect of our lives to who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.